This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I am David Haw from the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score. Weekday mornings, 530 to 10. Dan Weeder is from the Chicago Tribune, covers the Bears, chicagotribune.com. And hello to the 670 The Score's audience uh, who is... Kind enough to tune in and see what we're talking about on the Take the North podcast. Dan, it has been an off week at Hallis Hall, but there's plenty still to talk about. We'll take a look back at the victory in Minnesota, and we will also uh, talk about Kevin Warren's impact on the offseason, as well as look at some other factors. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about Caleb Williams, and we'll get into all yeah. of that on today's pod. Yeah, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with people outside of Chicago, curious about what's happening inside of Chicago. And one of the popular sentiments you hear is just how fascinated people are to see what happens after the season ends. You know, so I think we're in this kind of limbo period here now where we have to evaluate what happens over these final five games, figure out where it moves the needle. But then the landmark moment for this entire organization arrives when they have their sort of choose your own adventure of which paths to go down with the quarterback, the coach, the team, everything all involved with that. And so uh, we're headed for some very significant times here very soon, David. So I think when we reset, we look at five games remaining for Justin Fields to maintain a consistency. He checked a key box against the Vikings. He led a game-winning drive. He also had the two fumbles in the fourth quarter. But the quarterback position will, I think, there's a lot to look at with Justin Fields. He has a lot of uh, time left to make his case. And yet I wonder if it all could be a moot point if they end up with a number one overall pick and if they conclude you can't pass a chance to get a quarterback of the caliber of Caleb Williams. So I do wonder where that is headed. We also have kind of as the backdrop to all that, the head coaching situation. Matt Eagles might end up with a historically bad two seasons in uh, for the Bears. And we know what happens to coaches these days in the NFL. There's not a lot of patience. So I think that, we want start to wonder how is this decision going to be made in both cases? Who's going to be involved? Which brings us to Kevin Warren, who came here 
about a year ago and was hired about a year ago. And he was priority one was the stadium project, which we haven't talked about in a long time. But Dan, you've known Kevin a long time. You covered him when you covered the Vikings and you've written some great stuff on him. It's hard for me to imagine a guy, a leader that involved not having his fingerprints all over any of the processes we just described. There's no question about it, David. You know, December 2022 was the first we heard Kevin's name linked to the Bears job. He was obviously hired in January of this year and took over uh, officially full time in April. And what we've had here to this point is a growing curiosity amongst our audience, amongst fans of the Chicago Bears who want to see what do those fingerprints look like? (laughs) Because I think it's widely acknowledged that those fingerprints are going to be all over the decisions that 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 occur going forward. Now, look, Ryan Poles is still your front man in, in, in charge of the football operations of things, but there is a genuine and mutual admiration between those two men uh, in terms of the direction that they want to take this franchise. And so the back and forth of their ongoing daily organic discussions will lead them to a path and some decisions that will will change the, the course of Bears history, to be honest with you, in terms of which direction they decide to go in what is clearly a landmark offseason with the possibility for the first time in a long time to kind of gracefully marry up your head coach and your quarterback, you know, in a way that sets up a developmental runway uh, that 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 should point you in the direction you want to go. Now, we can have a further discussion on what that means for Matt, what that means for Justin, how it all kind of creates this uh, murky territory right now at the start of, of December 2023. But there's a lot ahead of us. Well, just want to understand this. So you believe and I think most people assume that in this equation, when we're starting to speculate about the futures of, of the key members, the key guys in each organization, Ryan Poles is safe because Kevin Warren feels like he is the right person to put the roster together that can win a Super Bowl. It's an educated guess by me. And I, I would I would say that just from the standpoint of things that you and I have previously talked about in terms of viewing the work that Ryan Poles has done in his job in two years and understanding that he hasn't had the chance to make that huge decision at the quarterback position. He did, he made a, a significant decision last spring when he decided to kick the can down the road and, and, and give Justin one more opportunity. Well, now this is a chance to really say what you want to do with that position, whether that's sticking behind Justin with, with, you know, full confidence or pivoting into a new direction and then trying to figure out what you do, uh, to set up, a, again, a developmental plan for that quarterback with the coaching decision. I just know that, you know, in the spring and summer, the the connection was profound between Ryan and Kevin. And I haven't witnessed or experienced anything in the course of this season that would lead me to believe that that was suddenly obliterated. I could be wrong. You know, we could be talking about this in six weeks and going, man, does that, does that look stupid? But that's just kind of... I, I think that's an accurate read. That's the way I, I think I would look at it, too, just based on... I, I don't think that we can read too much into body language, but I just think optics. And we know that Kevin Warren cares about optics. I think in contrast, I do wonder about uh, somebody as powerful and as polished as Kevin Warren is. I, I do wonder what he thinks every time Matt Eberflus speaks. And, and I don't think that you want to overstate you know, the value of these weekly, daily press conferences or opportunities to shape perception. But I do think that when you see the product on the field, 
um, you want to see improvement or something headed in the right direction. You could point to the defenses that's happening. You could look at the offenses wondering still where that, where, where the progress and where it's all going. But I do think that boy, somebody who cares about identity and image and intangibles as much as Kevin Warren does, he had to have had a few cringeworthy moments throughout the course of the season as Matt Eberflus held court at Hallis Hall. Well, look, I think the cringeworthy moments aren't just limited to the lectern at Hallis Hall. I think that it goes with what the product on the field has been for a large chunk of this season, for a bigger chunk of last season. And and when you understand the identity of Kevin Warren, which is a, a, a think big, swing hard mentality, you, you understand that you're going to go for something huge. And I don't think there's anyone in the league that, that thinks, okay, like Matt Eberflus is this galvanizing leader that can't be replaced in a way that, you know, pushes momentum uh, in the direction that the bears needed to go. And so I think, I think when you have an opportunity like the bears have and are going to have here in a month and a half, you have to give yourself the freedom and <laughs> the luxury of dreaming as big as possible. You know what I mean? And, and dreaming the biggest of dreams until they're no longer possible. And so that, I think, is the starting point for, for what Kevin Warren's vision for this organization is with everything he does, whether it's putting together a stadium plan, whether it's figuring out which direction they're going to go with the football team. There's a lot here, and I don't think you can separate the two entirely, right? Because, you know, we do know we're years off from a new stadium opening, but I think you want to have the foresight to set yourself up for an opening where you go, we're not just opening a stadium. We're opening a stadium for a team that is ready to compete for the biggest prizes in the sport, you know, yeah. and this is your chance here to start, to start that climb, you know, with, 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 with the most important positions in your, in your building. You don't want to be closer to hosting a Super Bowl than playing in one. Typically. You can, and if you, if you, right. And if you can, if you can match them up, great. Right. If that's the idea is that to have a team that's ready to play in a Super Bowl. And then if you can build a stadium that can host one, Hey, that's terrific. But here's what I think you're here's what I thought when, when you were describing this. We know when Kevin Warren came a year ago, the word that we used a lot was ambition and, and mm -hmm. taking big, bold swings. And I think that in that context, that's why I, I want to be respectful to Justin Fields and all that he still can accomplish in the final five games and all of it, frankly, that he's done in the past two to keep our minds open a little bit wider to the possibility that he can be the Bears quarterback of the future. A lot of variables in play. That allow that require the Bears to show that kind of patience. But Dan, when you have Kevin Warren and all we've said about him since he arrived was this guy takes big bold swings and he wants greatness. That's why I think his his input and impact on the draft process is also going to be felt. If you have a number one overall pick and you're about to go the second year in a row with having the number one overall pick and not taking a quarterback, the most important position in team sports. And as somebody like Caleb Williams, you don't get many shots at greatness. You don't get to step up to the plate and swing for the fences that right. often. And I think that's where Kevin Warren's presence is going to, I think, dictate what they do and how they handle it. So if you do have that number one overall pick and the Panthers lose out, then it will be – Great job, Justin Fields. We appreciate you increasing your trade value. We're swinging for the fences, and we're going to draft Caleb Williams. 
Well, look, like th- th- that's that's going to come down to the discussions that they have as a, a football staff in conjunction with Kevin. I think it's too strong to say that Kevin's presence will dictate those decisions, but it will certainly okay. in- it will influence it. It will yeah. influence it and there will that, be discussions and they will yeah. be they'll be productive discussions. And that, that is one of the biggest things that we talked about in terms of the value of Kevin Warren when he was hired and he arrived is that those discussions can be had at a more sophisticated level than they were had when Ted Phillips was the point man for Ryan Pace and before that, Phil Emery. You, you, you've got an opportunity to uh, sound things out, consider options, have a, a back and forth, have some pushback on some thoughts, some alternative philosophies, and then you just try to collectively come up with the best decision for the organization. I, there, there's a lot ahead of us. I will tell you this. The bye week has given me an opportunity to, to – uh, have a little bit more time to reach out to some folks around the league. And 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 one of the things that you consistently hear are, uh, is twofolds. Number one, um, when you talk about Justin Fields, a question that was given to me, which I thought is a great way to look at this, is ask yourself, what about this quarterback makes him irreplaceable? You know what I mean? And so when you look at it through that lens and you go, okay, there are some God-given gifts here in terms of the athleticism, the arm strength, the ability to, to threaten defenses as a runner, and then hopefully as you evolve more so as a passer, there are some things that you want to consider, but there's been nothing in the body of work through three seasons that says 100% this is your guy to be the engine of multiple championship drives. And when you're having those questions and you're facing what we've talked about before, which are decisions in, in not only do you back Justin Fields, but if you back him, how much do you invest in him? Well, now all of a sudden the conversation gets more complicated and it may actually turn your feet in a direction to what you're talking about, which is, okay, we have the number one pick in the draft. We have a quarterback class that is lauded almost universally by, by uh, draft analysts. We get the first pick of any player on this board how are we going to pass this up when there is a, a quarterback with talent that many people have said is generational? After nearly 40 games with Justin Fields as a quarterback, yeah, do you look at the Bears offense as being more limited or limitless? I, I don't know. I, th- I think you could make the argument either way. Limited in the way that, okay, he's a dynamic special runner, but is he ever going to be a dynamic special thrower? We've seen some signs of that, but not consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, limitless, well, you know what? When he's running the ball like he did for a four-game stretch last year and maybe at times against the Lions when he was doing everything and carrying 18 times, that may look like, yeah, you could really do a lot with that kind of skill set and talent, but is it sustainable from a health standpoint and from a scheme standpoint? So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it because – not only is Justin Fields probably in that context highly replaceable, but you may feel like you're you almost have to move on at some point because you've seen you've seen enough to know that that's a really unorthodox approach to winning a championship, and you don't see it happen very often for a reason. The other part of this equation is that the likelihood, if the Bears pivot off of Matt Eberflus, is that they're going to go out and hire a dynamic offensive minded coach that can lift that side of the ball to new heights and have an absolute vision and plan for getting a quarterback to take the next step, the step after that, the step after that, all the way up until you're playing in January on a regular basis. And so 
the sentiment that you kind of feel around the league is that the attraction to the Bears job. Now, look, like there is there is a belief in most league circles that there's going to be a minimum of eight head coaching open openings right. at the end of the season. It could right. swell up as far as 11. You mentioned the impatience in this league, and, and that's almost a third of the league that's going to be in this hunt. So if you're going to position yourself to get the ideal candidate to come and take your job, one of the things that makes this job attractive is for a new coach to come in and have a say on who the quarterback is. That muddies things just a little bit because if there are candidates out there that say, I want this job, but I do want to take some time to do a thorough, com- comprehensive evaluation of Justin Fields before we get to April's draft, then you have to allow them that freedom and that luxury to, to, to do their own homework on whether they would like to stick with Justin Fields or whether they would be more inclined to start fresh with a new quarterback. I think the sentiment is that the, the second of those two options is more appealing because league-wide, there's a belief that the ceiling for Caleb Williams is 25 floors higher than the ceiling for Justin Fields after what we've seen in three seasons. And so that is something that you have to factor in when you're sitting in Ryan Poles' chair and trying to figure out uh, who do I cast my hooks with? You know, who am I, who am I sure. looking at in, the, in, in a coaching search? Um, again, fascinating. For you and I, this is going to be a fascinating time. For the Bears organization, it's going to be landmark. It's going to be historic wow. because one way or the other, it's going to change the, the direction of the franchise. I thought last offseason was the historic offseason. This is it. This is the one. Through it again. This okay, is this the is one. the one. <laughs> Look, when I think about the perception of Justin Fields, I do wonder if outside of Chicago, outside of the bubble of the people who watch him every game and every week and study him every press conference, I do wonder if there's less hope invested or less confidence that he can be that quarterback than the people who have so much riding on his success locally. And I, and I wonder if they'll find that out. That's a good point. If they hire a coach, they're going to have to study it. They're not going to know right away. You're not going to be at the intro press conference. They're going to say, well, you know what? We're going to be a different, uh, different franchise with Caleb Williams calling the shots. Those things take time. It's going mm-hmm. to be a process, but it wouldn't shock me at the end of the process if the people coming into Hallis Hall have a much – uh, lower estimation of Justin Fields than the people who might be leaving Hallis Hall. You know, you're right about that. And, and you know, there is a timeline to all these things. And you, you would think that that decision, particularly when you're going to go out and, and go through the pre-draft process with quarterbacks, would, would have to lead you towards free agency. Like, you're going to want to have some clarity by, you know, early March to, to figure out what you're doing at the quarterback position. But there is a bridge between middle of January and early March. And so the Bears will cross that as, as – fluidly and, and gracefully as, as they can. Um, and like, look like the Caleb Williams discussion is, is fascinating on a lot of different levels. I think that the, 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 the one thought that you have to have in the back of your head to pass on Caleb Williams and then risk the possibility that he becomes what a lot of people have said for a long time, he's going to become has the chance to be a, a catastrophic franchise changing error more than another rolling one. the dice on Caleb Williams, right? And, and, yes. and then he doesn't become the yes. guy you thought he was. And you go, okay, we, we took our swing at it. That's but the, the, the flip side of that feels so much more daunting. It feels so much more risky to be like, we'll see if he becomes a, a, a Super Bowl winning star somewhere else. We'll just pass for this cycle. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to get to Caleb Williams and some issues surrounding him uh, in this season at USC in a moment. I do want to, for fun, run a couple names by you because of the Kevin Warren potential inclusion and see what you would think about uh, potential coaching fits and speculation. Because it's you said eight to ten openings. There's going to be a lot of names swirling around. I do want to, before we get to some of the more compelling ones, you were in Minnesota. You covered the Vikings with Leslie Frazier was a head coach. Kevin yeah. Warren was in the front office. Should we read anything into that relationship in wondering about Leslie Frazier's future in the Bears organization as either a f- possible assistant coach or even interviewing for the head coaching position if it becomes open? Well, look, he, he you know spoke with the Bears about the head coaching position the last time it was open. It was very uh, – brief over zoom and that was the end of it i don't see him being a candidate in this cycle because i think what we talked about the bears are going to be targeting if they are targeting a coach to begin with a a a offensive-minded dynamic young coach that can can really develop a quarterback would leslie be a an okay fit as a veteran coordinator in a situation like that probably but that would be up to the, the coach that is hired to make that decision and figure out where his ties lie and what kind of staff he wants to put together so uh i wouldn't read much into those links at all Okay, so you're talking about when trust you say, me. I love you know I love Leslie. Yeah, I know you love Leslie. I just had to ask because they do have a connection and, and it's clear they have a, a tight relationship. And correct, those are the ways get those are the ways that guys keep jobs or get jobs in the NFL in every profession. Really, he's a great coordinator too. You know, I, I, like that's why I say. I mean, like Kevin certainly would be within uh, within bounds to tell any any new coach like, hey, as you're searching for a defensive coordinator, you might want to talk to this guy who's done a great yeah. job over a long time with a lot of different organizations. Pairing him with a a young um, offensive minded head coach who's being a head coach for the first time, which would be so on brand for the bears, hire somebody else who's not done the job before. Then you're talking about a guy like Ben Johnson, a guy like Bobby Sloak jr. A guy like maybe Eric B Those are the three offensive coordinators. Those are the three offensive minded guys that come to mind first. When you say, well, the bears are going to be looking at an offensive minded head coach. who's never been a head coach before. Well, okay. So I will tell you that, that Ben Johnson's name is, is the one that's the hottest, right? And, and you've seen what he's done over a couple of years in Detroit. And there's a sentiment that that's an ideal target for a position like this. You know, there, there, I, I've heard that from multiple people that, that this would be a, a, an unbelievable marriage of uh, a coach that is proving himself on the rise and would be able to take over 
an offense and an organization and a quarterback at a time that that makes a lot of sense there. So that's a good one. Uh, the name is is fascinating in a lot of ways because the man that is currently running the Chicago Bears, Ryan Poles, spent a lot of time with Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. He would have plenty of opportunity in his first time around hiring a coach to say, hey, let, let, let's at least talk to Eric and try to get him on our radar as a possible candidate. And Ryan Poles chose not to, which to me was telling because it it, 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 it seems to be an informed decision. I think Eric Bannemi has had north of a dozen head coaching interviews and yet to, to land a job. Um, so I don't sense that that would be the direction that they would go, but yeah, it, it, that yeah, name, either. that name is going to go there. What was the third one you gave me? Cause I have a couple to Bobby Slow Jr. Right, you're Bobby. It, no, no, so that one is one that, that people are fascinated by because this is only one year. Right. And, and it would be a huge dice roll and it would be a huge, you know, Sean McVay type hire of a young guy who is like, okay, like, do we see greatness, you know, in there, or is it a huge dice roll? Because we just don't know how sustainable any of it is. Um, I will tell you, press Taylor is a name that I've heard thrown around okay. a little bit. He's the offensive coordinator with the Jaguars now, was instrumental uh, early on in Cincinnati uh, with his brother uh, in the Bengals and Joe Burrow. Um, and uh, taking a look at my notes here, Brian Callahan is another one. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think that that we are going to go down the uh, the defensive coach standpoint, uh, but there's a belief that Steve Spagnuolo may get another uh, another sniff in the, the head coaching uh, world and Dan Quinn. Don't forget about Dan Quinn because Dan Quinn was a finalist for this Bears job a couple of years ago. Continues to do terrific things with that Cowboys defense. Um, I don't think it's the right time or the right fit again for Dan Quinn here. But like that was a dude that two years ago, uh, when he had reached the final stages with the Bears, felt like that was a, a guy that that you might have wanted to to take a bigger swing at. Uh, Ryan Pulse shows going a different direction, and and so here we are. But I, I, Dan Quinn is certainly going to be, as we mentioned, maybe up to upwards of ten head coaching openings. He's going to be mentioned and and interviewing a lot. So will Jim Harbaugh at least be mentioned a lot? I don't know about interviewing. What are we to make about the latest? Diana Rossini from the Athletic said the Bears have talked about uh, internally the fact that Jim Harbaugh could be available if they do move on from Matt Eberflus. Obviously, his past speaks for itself, former Bears quarterback, former Bears draft pick. Jim Harbaugh is a polarizing figure. He's also very popular in some corners of Chicago. I don't know about some corners of Hallis Hall. Relationship with Kevin Warren, that would have to be addressed. His relationship with the McCaskey family would still have to be addressed. But, Dan, this guy wins, and he's unorthodox, and I am on record as being a big Harbaugh guy, and I remain a big Harbaugh guy. So the the biggest question that comes up when his name is linked to Chicago is personality, and and, and it's it's a question of one, how much control he would want in calling all the shots, you know, and how much how much the time spent at Michigan, as you know, in a college program, you can develop a very um, my way or no way philosophy and it's been a long time since jim has had to work through that on the nfl level where where there are different dynamics and there are different egos and there are different pressure points uh within each organization um you know the the i don't know knowing what i know about kevin warren that he would be super interested in the, the 
the, the I don't I don't really want to call it melodrama, but just the kind of the daily combativeness back and forth and 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 uncertainty that comes with trying to to steer in the same direction with someone who has a very fixed view of what direction things need to go. Um, so like that, 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 look like the bears obviously have to consider everything. They have to consider keeping Matt Eberflus. They have to consider hiring Jim Harbaugh. The, we talked about on uh, our podcast last week, I think that we're going to be sifting through a lot of noise here in the next two months. And, and so considering things to me is never news. They, they're going to consider everything, you know? And, and, and so, um, I just wouldn't put a lot of a lot of significance in that. Listen, like D- Diana does a terrific job. I like she, she's one of my favorite people in the industry in terms of the way she goes about uh, that type of news gathering, you know. And it's usually rock solid. But I, I don't put any more stock into it than they're considering it, which they're considering everything. I'd only add that yes, Jim Harbaugh would bring an element of unpredictability to House Hall and to the coaching office into the hallways into the culture then yeah he's a little bit and very unorthodox there's also though a consistency that he would bring to the product and there is a certainty for, that for how might, long doesn't matter i mean you are the bears you have not won a playoff game in 13 years <laughs> you need to be if you tell me three years i'll take it if you tell me five years, I'll be thrilled. Three, three years. You would take three years of Jim Harbaugh. Yes. Uh, you know yeah, why, man, Dan? Why? Because he would turn things around. Three years of Jim Harbaugh would be something that you would look at and say, "All right, well, you know what? We have things on the right track." And then if he talks his way out of town, and then what? He fl- he flips it over to Jim Tom Sula again, and then you got to live through that for. You <laughs> we know? don't have to repeat history exactly. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. You know, just because it happened once before doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Then Chip want- Kelly comes in for a couple years, and the, and then we're pivoting. To, like, how many times you want to pivot? You don't have to do all that, but if you are in search of credibility as desperately as the Bears are in terms of on the field, Jim Harbaugh will give you that for a short period of time. Maybe there's an expiration date, but you know what? I am going to enjoy every swig. I am going to enjoy every Sunday because I'm going to have a football team with a personality, with an identity, and with a toughness. And I don't think they have that right now. And I don't think they've had that in years. Don't forget, there's not only one right answer to these questions either. You know what I mean? And so like, I, I just, a couple of years ago, Jim Harbaugh looked like he was in pole position to go in and take that job in Minnesota. And the next thing you know, he came out of a, a visit up at their team headquarters and, and it was like, okay, that's not happening. And, and, <laughs> you know, there, there are some things that you, you hear through back channels about, uh, uh, about meetings like that, that make you go, okay. Uh, so th- there is some substance to the, the quirkiness and the, stubbornness and and the different kind of personality that Jim Harbaugh would bring oh, into your quirky. building. There's no doubt. And so, no so doubt. look like, he, like we're going <laughs> to, I think we've talked about this before. Colleen Kane and I were talking about how many candidates the bears interviewed in the cycle in 2021. And that's less than 24 months ago. Like we can just go back to that menu and start trying to figure out which of the 14 guys that had zoom interviews are still relevant this time around and, and probably have a list that starts right there. One more name before we get to Caleb Williams and it involves Caleb Williams, his offensive assistant coach on the USC staff, a guy who's been in the meeting rooms all season long is Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury has experience as a head coach in the NFL, and he also coached Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury has been linked to the Houston University of Houston job. He's interviewed for some offensive coordinator positions. 
But I do wonder if the Bears job becomes vacant and it looks like they have a chance to draft Caleb Williams, would two and two equal four or is that too big of a leap? Probably a, a pretty big leap after the way Cliff left the NFL fairly recently. Would you consider Lincoln Riley too? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm as high on Lincoln Riley as some people are on Lincoln Riley. I just asked about Kingsbury because I do think he probably concerns some people with his uh, rather abrupt hiatus uh, and, and leaving um, the United States for an indefinite period of time. Didn't he take off to Thailand? Wasn't he the guy that did that? This is news to me, but it might, it might have. I, I, I will get on the Google machine when we're done here. And- <laughs> well, yeah, so points well taken, but I just thought it was interesting because his name, everybody who is linked to Caleb Williams might have uh, a conversation, we'll have a conversation about just to see, well, you know what, did they have a chemistry um, with him because he looks like he could emerge as the consensus number one overall Note to pick. self, search Cliff Kingsbury, comma, Thailand. There we go. Be careful with those things. <laughs> you make sure you use your own home computer. Um, SFW. Yeah, so, uh, all right, speaking of Caleb Williams, good story in the LA Times about Caleb Williams. Really good. Postseason, um, had a uh, event with his foundation. He's got a foundation. These NIL kids have a lot of sophistication coming out of college now in terms of their charitable works and just their business savvy. I think that Caleb Williams is somebody who he admits in that story in the LA times has to have a better control of his emotions. So that concerns you on one level. If you have a franchise quarterback who has maturity issues that he acknowledges at the same time, boy, does he have potential? And I think that would be something that might be what I would focus on over the other concerns. First things first, do you, do you know how to pronounce the author's name? Is it Ryan Karchi from, from the LA Times? I, I don't know how to pronounce the last name, but I, I wanted to give him credit because it was a really, really good read and clearly an informed uh, perspective from a guy who's covered him in college. And and uh, like I, I walked away from that story sort of more set in understanding that the evaluation to Caitlin Williams will be far less about grinding tape and far more about doing the background work right? and trying to figure out what makes him tick and what makes him talk, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and that's a huge part of this evaluation because I think by his own admission, there is a level of emotional control that needs to improve as he goes to the next level on a bigger stage. Caleb Williams just celebrated his 22nd birthday a month ago, less than a month ago. And so you're still talking about uh, a young kid who has an opportunity to mature and evolve and develop in terms of who he is as a person. But he will be entering a fishbowl, particularly if it's in Chicago, and he will be entering a, a fishbowl that that <laughs> has has some smears on the glass from all the people that have spent time watching the quarterbacks over the last eight years, you know, and, and trying to figure out what direction it goes. And so, look, we go to the combine every year and we test arm strength and we test vertical leaps and we do physical exams and, and, and we, we have them run 40s and have them throw. The test for Caleb Williams to me that is as significant as anything at this point of the evaluation process is how thick is his skin and can he withstand struggle? I thought one of the most notable parts of that article, David, was his kind of recognition that he called it the most important, one of his most important years in football, this one that just passed, because this end of the season where they lost five or six and you know weren't alive for, for a championship of any kind and it challenges you and and it puts you through a, a ringer 
um, both physically and emotionally of trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this failure? What do I do with this struggle? Can I grow from it? Can I get better from it? Does it just absolutely drain me? Does it throw me off of my emotional equilibrium in a way that's not productive? And these are uh, uh, big, big questions that NFL general managers and executives are going to have to answer with their scouting staff as they go through the process of putting together that huge file on Caleb. And I think that just him having the awareness to express himself and to acknowledge those concerns at this stage of his growth and development just about before he's going to be a professional quarterback, to me, would be encouraging. I don't want to get over the top and saying, well, you know what, he's, he's going to be fine because he knows he has, a, he has some issues he needs to address. But I do think it's encouraging. And there's room for growth there. He, he acknowledges it. Um, that's the biggest concern that I would have. You watch the tape and you can find examples where, okay, he needs to throw this and you wonder about his stature and he fumbles too much, but football wise, you know, th- there's not many perfect quarterbacks mechanically that come out of college, Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck. These are guys who were very predictable with mechanics and very, very solid and predictable in other ways. Caleb Williams to me has the skill set that makes him unique and maybe the best, most talented all around quarterback since Andrew Luck or maybe Lawrence, but the maturity thing is something you're going to have to work through. It's going to take time. It's going to take guys like Kevin Warren that you trust guys. You're going to read good at reading people, people who have presence and maturity and power. And so they can maybe see how they handle being in a room with them and handle themselves Uh, at the board or in front of uh, teammates, that's the unknown. We don't know that. But I'm also not going to be one of those guys that like, well, you know, I saw him crying in his mom to his mom after a game and boy, painted his fingernails against Notre Dame. I'm out. I'm not out. Well, and and he didn't, he didn't speak with the media after the loss to UCLA. And there, you know, there's a a number of things that, that you can decide what significance you want to attach to them, but they're real things in the NFL and you know how the machine works and how little things become huge stories. And we saw that here uh, several times in the last couple of years uh, of things that blow up. And can you handle that? Do you have the stamina to stay energized through the attention overload that's coming your way, regardless of, uh, of what happens, you know, and, and, and just, you know, dealing with the disappointment that he had to deal with this year, coming off a Heisman trophy winning season, having such high hopes for the year and having it, uh, you know, fold on you or, or cave in on you a little bit, it, it does create a drain. And you've got to figure out how to work through that, you know, at the next level when the drain is going to be more significant and the pressure is going to be more intense. And, and look, like, I think there's a level of passion there that's obvious. you got to channel it in the right direction, you know. Um, and, and so that, it's going to be fascinating for NFL teams to explore that. I will say that, like, when we talk about the thick skin test, it, it, this is an opportunity to give another double thumbs up to – QB one right now, Justin Fields and the three seasons of his ability to handle this roller coaster is one of the most impressive things about that dude as a person. And, and it's worth pointing that out because if you could borrow that and give it to any quarterback that would play here in Chicago, you would take that in a heartbeat, that ability to, to stay resilient, to stay thick skinned, to stay immersed in the present, even when there's so much noise and criticism and praise and everything else that's flying around. Justin has done a, a, a terrific job of staying level with that. And you would hope that the next quarterback you bring in can replicate that as much as possible. And I think you saw, Saw some examples of that and evidence of that in the post-game locker room scene where after yeah. Eberflus addressed the team, 
Justin Fields stepped forward and apologized and thanked his teammates for bailing him out. And the reaction to him shows you uh, things that you just it's described. Really Mental genuine, toughness. right? Yeah. Don't you think that whole, yeah. the whole the whole thing was yeah. genuine and you, and you like that? You know, you like to see that. Flucy was a little corny, but that was on brand. That's okay. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So it brings us back to last Monday night in uh, Minneapolis to wrap things up. You had some takeaways that you, we didn't get to in the last podcast because it was uh, the first victory over uh, yeah. an NFC North opponent, and there were some things that were worth noting. Well, yeah, you know, you go through the rewatch, and there are certain things that you confirm and then other things that jump out to you, and you say, man, like, i got to make special mention of that at some point. I, I'll just go through a, a handful of things that I jotted down. Number one is, like, Kyler Gordon, man, like – Give that dude credit for the presence he's bringing to this defense. That secondary we've talked about for a long time has kind of that infectious swagger to them. You know, all those guys, Jalen and, and Jaquan and and Kyler and Eddie, they they play with that that outward love of the game and the outward love of competition. That's cool. I mean, that fourth down tackle that he had on TJ Hawkinson, who has a 48-pound advantage on him at the sticks, and to be able to carry him out of bounds a half yard short of the first down in a critical moment at fourth and seven to start of the second half. That was there. He had another big hit uh, in, in the hole, uh, uh, stopping Ty Chandler for no gain later in the second half. That was just one of the, it, you just feel the guy, you know, and you're like, man, like that right now uh, is a guy who's on the rise. And he's more physical than he looks. He looks like a finesse player, but he plays with force that you just don't expect. And when he hits you, I bet you, you feel it. I'll get this one out of the way just because we don't need to spend more time in it than we already have. I, I took a, a really uh, sharp microscope to the play calling on the second rewatch. I thought there were a couple moments where I was unnerved by the way that Luke Getze called. There was a, you know, they hit a, a bubble screen to DJ Moore for 22 yards. And it's one of the, the better moments of the game of using that concept and getting the spitting the ball out to the perimeter and letting your playmaker do what he does best. But then it was followed by two screens. One of them <laughs> a pass to Trent Taylor that was knocked down first of all well, why are we throwing Taylor saw come out and stopped it there was another play early in the fourth quarter it was a third down uh blitz beater Vikings bringing everybody and, and DJ sat down at the sticks and uh Troy Aikman actually pointed out on the broadcast that that looked like th they knew you weren't going to test them down the field and they sat on that route at the sticks and were able to break it up that's a moment there where you got to have something in your playbook where you recognize zero and you have a deep route you know, and we've, we've seen teams win games in the late stages where you just, you know, you've got one-on-one, -on -one, just throw it up, let your guy do his thing and stretch it down the field. I, I would have liked to see something there. I'm still unnerved to use your word by 21 passes at or behind the line of scrimmage. Some of the, uh, I, I guarantee you, if you went back through it, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't take exception with even half of the 21. 
I bet you would. Don't guarantee anything. Not oh, no, all right. no. I want to throw balls on the field. Half of them, that would be 12. Once you get to 12, I think you're good. Give me a dozen, maybe. That's excessive. 21 is absurd. The other part that we don't know about that is how many of those had other plays baked into it and they were based on a count at the line and then we'll see what Justin had to do. Cole Komet, uh, first time we've ever had a chance to praise Cole here on the podcast. Dude is play, <laughs> playing as, as solid as anyone on the team right now. When you look at what he was asked to do in that game, which was be accountable as a blocker against a blitz-heavy attack in situations where you were going to have to stay in seven-man protections a lot, you know, Cole stood up and rose up to that challenge. We talked to the last podcast about the huge catch on fourth and 10 after blocking and then leaking out uncovered into the field. Uh, like you look at the numbers he's put up this year and, and kind of where he's ascending to as a tight end. Finally, good to, to give him some recognition. Finally. I'm so glad you came around and Cole Komet, Dan. Let's uh, looking like a contract extension that is aging well. Two last things. TJ Edwards, uh, another dude. Right now, David, if you go to uh, your statistical log, TJ Edwards is the NFL's leading tackler. He has wow. 128 tacklers, tackles. The number two tackler in the league is a guy named Roquan Smith, who you're familiar with. And so uh, there's impact tackles, too. And that's, I think, sometimes tackle stats can be misleading. They weren't misleading on on Monday. The six stops that he made Monday, there were some big, big moments in there, including the, the swing pass that he stopped. Uh, for a three-yard gain on third and six, huge open field tackle. Textbook linebacker, get down, run through the guy, make the tackle, do that. And then he had the, the stop on the, the, the Vikings' final third down, which got the ball back for the offense to go on that game-winning drive. Without T.J. Edwards, the Bears don't win that football game. And I'm sure some podcasts may point out T.J. Edwards much cheaper than Roquan Smith. (laughs) And then finally, the 36-yard Justin Fields to D.J. Moore passes, the one that's got all the attention. The 16-yarder to start that drive is more impressive. The degree of difficulty of the last pass, you see that you could have made that throw, right? There, there's no pressure. There's a zone coverage. The best receiver on the field is breaking wide open across the middle, and all you have to do is, is, is see it and throw it. Justin did that. But the first play of that drive required Justin to get out away from some traffic. He looked at his check down to Roshan Johnson and saw that that lane was congested, decided not to go there, extended the play with his legs, was able to get out, find DJ across the middle, and, and do what Justin is now doing better, which is kind of puppeteering the defense into – Am I going to run? Am I going to throw? Am I going to run? Am I going to throw? You make a decision. I make a decision. And they came up. DJ Wanham came after him. He hit DJ Moore. 16 yards to start the drive was bigger than anything that happened to finish the drive. And so I wanted to put some spotlight on that as well. That's true. But a solo home run in the ninth inning to win a game means more than the one that goes 450 feet uh, in, in the third inning. I get what you're saying, but the 36-yard one is the one you're going to remember next in six months. No, it'll be the one that remembered is just the easier one. And so the more difficult, more significant one was the one to start the drive. Fair enough. Uh, and and it, you know, look like it's cool to see him to start to make plays as a thrower while extending plays. And that's something that they've been harping on him about. And he's clearly taken to the emphasis in a way that's that's becoming productive for the Bears offense. Two weeks in a row, uh, Justin Fields has kind of finished uh, – on a high note and giving us something to think about. And so we'll wait and see what happens against the Lions at Soldier Field after the bye week. And we will drop another podcast on Tuesday morning of the bye week. I think we covered a lot of ground on this one. Anything we left out, Dan? No, it's the first time I've ever done a comprehensive coaching search podcast in week 13. So here we are, Chicago. (laughs)
Welcome, welcome to town. You're not exactly new here. That's the way it goes. All right. For Dan Weederer and Adam Studzinski, our producer, thank you to, for listening to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page. We'll be back next Tuesday with another pre-Lions podcast. Thanks for listening. Great talk. See you out there.